Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. Here at the end of 2 Kings chapter 4 are two quick back-to-back miracles of Elisha. These miracles, as with much of the Old Testament, point to some very encouraging spiritual truths about Christ and our salvation. Let's join Pastor Ross now in the study entitled, Death in the Pot and Life in the Basket. Alrighty, let's get started. Our timer wasn't on, so you're all surprised that we're starting without the timer going off. Just pretend it just did a 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, all right? All right, why don't you make your way to 2 Kings chapter 4. We left two small miracles, if you can call them small. Uh, Miracles at the end of chapter 4, we're going to take a look at them tonight and walk through them and see what God has for us. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, in these two miracles that we're going to take a look at tonight, there's so much about the gospel, so much about Jesus and your great love for us. And we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts as we sang uh, this evening earlier, that we might see the truth that you have for us and apply it so we can be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. I'm always amazed how God works in our lives in really ordinary, mundane, day-to-day routine ways. Let me give you an example. Now, the other day, we really saw God work in a supernatural way, Barb and I. He arranged something that was very miraculous in the midst of something quite ordinary. And it all came down to really wanting some iced coffee. Now... This is how God did his thing. So uh, Barb and I were needing to talk with someone about something important. And I kept telling Barb, we need to call this person and arrange a meeting. And that person was needing to talk with us as well. In fact, they were seated in a coffee shop in a town where they do not live, texting a friend saying that they really needed to talk with us. And after that text was sent, uh, we walked in to that place. Now, Barb and I were running an errand in a town where we don't live. We stopped at a random place we had never been before to get some iced coffee. And there was this person all alone in an empty shop sitting facing two empty chairs So we ordered our coffee and took our seats in the two (laughs) empty chairs that God had arranged for our amazing, amazing conversation. And so sometimes when we think of miracles, we think parting the Red Sea or the sun standing still in its place or the ten plagues coming down out of heaven against God's enemies. And we forget that the God we serve Uh, works the miraculous in our everyday affairs. When we're running errands, when we're getting coffee, God is guiding our footsteps, unbeknownst to us. I I think we should be more aware that 
God is at work in our everyday lives. Amen? Amen. I mean, the New Testament, I mean, before we really dive in here, the New Testament talks about God doing miraculous things, less mundane, everyday things. At a gathering of friends and family, at a small wedding in Cana, or in a, on a fishing boat, a small little boat, regular work day, a bunch of fishermen, a miraculous haul of fish. And in the pews of a, a little vi- village synagogue in the middle of nowhere, just a regular old worship service, and now a man has restoration of the use of his hand. And so God shows up and works in miraculous ways uh, in ordinary circumstances, like the miracle tonight at the end of chapter 4 here. An ordinary dinner, a bunch of guys sitting down and having supper, and God shows up in a miraculous way. Uh, Two miracles tonight, really, uh, and both involving one of my favorite subjects, food. (laughs) So verses 38 through 41 first, all right? So verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal, And there was a famine in that region while the company of the prophets was meeting with him. He said to his servant, put on a large pot and cook some stew for these men. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine. He gathered some of its gourds and filled the fold of his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. All right, so let's pause there. Miracle number one, death in the pot. Now, that does not sound very appetizing, you know. What's for dinner tonight? What's cooking? Uh, death. Oh, I think I'll pass. Uh, well, tonight, one of those exciting uh, miracles. Now, we're in a unique period of human history, and there are only a few of them where God is using the supernatural kinds of miracles to establish his work, to bring credibility to his message. And there were certain periods where those miracles were a lot more commonplace than, let's say, today. Uh, And in this case, it was aimed at reuniting uh, a divided Israel and to save them, to call them back to the Lord so that they wouldn't end in a disastrous uh, exile. The exile just means that God stirred up and allowed enemy nations, Assyria the first time and Babylon the second time, to come in and remove first Israel, the northern ten tribes. They took them away, hauled the Jews out of the promised land. And then uh, the, the second Babylonian exile, a couple hundred years later, took the Jews of Judah away to what is modern-day Iraq. And so he was trying to get them not to, go, not to have that happen. And so there were a lot of miraculous signs and wonders, especially with this guy named Elisha here. And so uh, the cool thing about Old Testament miracles is this. Uh, there is always a 
a deeper meaning, a meaning that speaks to us today as Christians because it's really uh, quite often a picture of Jesus Christ, his life, and his work on the cross, his redemption, the work of the gospel there uh, in these miracles. And so, well, for example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the miracles of the Exodus when, Jesus, when the Jews were on their way out of Egypt to the promised land, those miracles, he said, were uh, speak of salvation. So the parting of the Red Sea spoke of Christian baptism. And God was painting a picture. The manna, of course, that came down from heaven speaks of Jesus, of course, in communion. The bread and the cup was seen also because the rock was struck. And from the, the bleeding or the wound of the rock that was struck comes the cup that saves them, the water of life, the living water. And so, really, God's been talking about salvation for a real long time. And he doesn't want anybody to miss it. Right, And so he's been painting that picture even through these historical miracles happen. They're also speaking to us. The word of God is living. It's alive. So you're reading this about, you know, 3,000 years ago or whatever it was. And God is speaking to you. He's got a message about Jesus, about your daily life, about something you're going through. And you're just reading about a pot of stew. And, you know, before you know it, you're like, whoa. That message was for me because the word of God is living and sharp. It goes straight into our heart and does its work down there. And so uh, these miracles of Elisha are no different. And so we're going to take a look at that now. So notice the setting of this miracle. There's famine in the land there. Verse 38, famine. So a drought. Skies shut up. There's nothing growing. And nobody's eating. There's a great deal of suffering and death all around. You may be asking, what? In the promised land? Didn't God promise a land flowing with milk and honey? That doesn't sound like an eight-year famine, right? How does that fit in? It sounds kind of contrary to the promises of God. Well, I have a scripture for you, Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. Here was the promise, if you walk in my statutes, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments, that's all right, and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Now, that was the promise, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. Now, the second part of that was a warning to the Jews who came into the promised land, and it went like this, verses 18 through 20. And if in spite of all this, the Lord's warnings, you will not listen to me, then I'll discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. And so, yeah, there was famine. Why? Because he's calling them back. He's trying to break their pride. He said, if you obey me, you know, the Old Testament was rather simple in some aspects. They were under the covenant of law. And, and as to the nation, the Lord promised, obey me. Thank you for that. 
I obey me and be blessed. Disobey me and hear some curses. Now, it's not so simple under the new covenant of grace because God, we find, uses adversity. And so, quite frankly, I mean, if we were to judge somebody by the adversity levels in their life, Paul the Apostle would be one rebellious character because the list goes on for days about how this man suffered. And so uh, I I found a quote here that uh, I'd like to share with you. While it's fair to say that as a general rule, obedience to God brings blessing, but obedience under the covenant of grace never guarantees immunity from adversity. As Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. For obedient Christians, there are crosses to bear and trials to joyfully deal with. There are thorns in the flesh and persecutions all along with a grace that is sufficient for all things. And so, there's famine in the land, and for a reason. Uh, God is not... uh, God is not going to bless their disobedience. He's trying to call them back. And sometimes when you dry things up, it gets people to drop to their knees and come back to calling upon him. So notice also the character of Elijah. He's willing to return. Verse 38 just says he's coming back to this place. It's a tough place. It's a a place of need, a place of hunger. Where did he come from? Well, you'll recall he had a wealthy couple build him a nice, cozy, little rooftop apartment where he was getting three square meals a day and uh, cool summer breezes blowing in and it was not uh, necessarily affected by the famine so much. Uh, But he returns. Why? Because duty calls. You know, duty calls. And so sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zones and a man of character, a woman of character, will, will put pleasing God in the will of God before creature comforts and my convenience. Right? Amen? I know. It's hard, but (laughs) it's true. All right. And so uh, Elisha has the kind of character uh, that wants to please God first. And so he returns. Now, uh, notice Elisha is not trying to be somebody he's not. Now, I just picked this up as a pastor. Uh, I imagine the guys that he's mentoring, they're called, there's a hundred of them. They're like seminary students. It's, it's like a, a Christian college there. And he's teaching them. He's dean of men, all right? And I imagine them saying, hey, our last mentor, he prayed and it rained. Where's your power? We are white. He saved the day. We love that guy, Elijah. He was the man. When we had a drought, this guy just went up, prayed to the Lord. It's a little puff of a cloud. He prayed more, he prayed more, and, and suddenly we have the answer. How about you? Well, with Elijah, God helped them by removing the trial. With Elisha, he helps them by walking through the trial. And so uh, Elisha doesn't need to feel the pressure of conforming to be Elijah. He's not Elijah. He's Elisha. And I think we all need to get that straight, who we are, what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. 
You know, not trying to be who other people think we ought to be, who we sometimes think we ought to be. We just ought to be like who we ought to be. Amen? (laughs) It's profound. (laughs) Think about it. So on to the savory meal. You thought I would never get to it, but here we are. All right, so I imagine Elisha's teaching up a storm. They're outdoors somewhere, you know, under the shade of a spreading tree. It's nice to be fed with the word of God. By the way, in the Hebrew, it says they were sitting, not meeting. But it doesn't make sense that they were sitting. But they were sitting, listening to him feed them the word of God. The problem is, is that when you're famished and you're hungry and you have a practical need, you know, the spiritual thing, you know, is good. But, you know, you can't pay attention when you're starving, you know. So Elisha closes the scroll. I picture him smiling. He says, let's get some food. Let's get some food going. Let's let's see what we can scrounge up. So he says to Gehazi, his servant, fire up the kettle. Let's just pull everything together and get someone out there and see what they can forage from the hills and the little forest there. And so a student comes back in verse 39 with a lap full of these hardy-looking gourds. Now, when it says gourds, it means something like pumpkin or squash or melon. That's the word in Hebrew. But you know at Halloween time when those, those bumpy, ugly-looking things appear everywhere? That's what I picture, all right? And so those crook-neck, kind of bumpy, wart-filled gourds, okay? (laughs) And and a variety, quote, no one had ever seen before. Red flag. So, now, I want to sermonize, of course, because I want to sermonize on everything I read, but here, uh, nothing like a hungry stomach uh, to cause you to overlook your usual precautions and push the envelope a bit. Uh, One quote here, famine leads to desperation, and desperation can lead to foolish choices, and foolish choices can lead to death. So it's not hard to see a quick spiritual application here. Now, when the spirit becomes famished and starved, common sense can go out the window And we ingest into our lives poisonous and harmful things to fill the void, to stop the ache. The young girl starving for male attention, the spouse craving attention or intimacy, a young man needing his parents' approval, a believer who starves themselves from the nourishment of the word of God and the love of God, the serving of God. These folks can only go so far with that kind of famished spirit before they're looking at wild vines and want to fill their souls with something that looks good on the outside but will do them a lot of harm. Now, if you're in the role of one of those providers of love and affection and attention, um, you've got to do your part to fill the heart because you really don't want to contribute to somebody's um, panicked 
choice to fill in something that really was your responsibility. Now, for the person who goes to the wild vine because they're famished, that's to say, you know, maybe I should, nah, yeah, I'm so hungry, yes. It's their responsibility. Nobody will ever stand before God and say, I was raised in a dysfunctional family, all right? (laughs) Not going to happen. Yeah, most human beings were raised in a dysfunctional family. (laughs) You know, Uh, we're responsible. We are responsible. All our litany of excuses of why we had to do this. We're going to blame our mom, blame our dad, blame the alcoholism. Yeah. They contribute, but at the end of the day, I make a choice in knowledge. And how God holds the other people who contribute to my pain and set me up uh, to make bad choices or to influence me in that way, that's God's business, how he deals with them, right? But never will I be justified by saying, you know, I was so starved out by this so-and-so person. I have to take a bite of this. It's not going to happen. You know, Eve, you know, when she blamed the serpent, she said, yes, I ate, okay? But the serpent, he's the problem. And then, uh, you know, he went to the man, you know, we we talk about this all the time, and the man said, yeah, the woman, (laughs) you gave me. (laughs) So that was a double duty there. You know, yes, I ate, but, you know, had I just been alone with the animals, I would have been fine. Had you not thought about giving me some woman, all right? Well, the Lord was not uh, pleased with that response. <laughs> and so, yeah. You know, there's a song. There was a song by Sanctus Real. You know, it went. It's called Lead Me. And it has the echo of the kids and the wife singing this. Lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams. What about us? Show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. Yeah. To the best of your ability. Feed them. Can I just say one more thing? Because, I mean, I've been 30 years seeing people come in with famished hearts eating the wrong things, right? Is it that difficult to give that person what they really need? Is it really? (laughs) You know what it is they're crying out for. Is it really that hard? (laughs) Continuing on. So it's a new variety of squash gourd slash pumpkin killer melon. All right. Uh, no, no one's seen it. No one knows anything about it. And quite frankly, they're so hungry, no one cares. Slice it up, throw it in, let it cook, and serve it up with a pinch of kosher salt. It's all good. All right. And so verse 40, notice the letdown of the imitation, right? It strikes you right after you commit the uh, ingesting of the thing, right? And so beads of sweat form on their brows. Bitter aftertaste, what was it? It doesn't say, but they knew. We've been poisoned, all right? Uh, Was it stomach pain, nausea, lightheadedness? You know, they know, whoops. (laughs) The gourds are poisonous. And so uh, notice, I noticed this, they stopped eating. 
That's the difference between us and them. We stopped eating and cried out. They keep eating it. They keep ingesting it. We come around, hey, stop eating that. We found some bread from heaven. It's really good, tasty, and it doesn't leave that nasty, bitter taste in your mouth, you know? But no, they keep forcing it down, kind of blocking their nose and just keep eating. Boom, delicious. (laughs) So Elisha, man of God, we've been poisoned. And I, I like that Elisha has an answer when somebody says, hey, I've ingested something poisonous. What do I do? I like that he has an answer. and I think we all need to have an answer. I think that's scriptural, right? So, now surely in the remedy, there's something beautiful here. I hope you see it with me. Now, evidently, poisonous plants came after the fall. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, I have that for you. Genesis 3 verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you after the fall. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, weeds for you, that you will eat the plants of the field. And so with sin came the curse of death and and gourds that looked edible but actually could kill you appeared. Now, I had students, college students. uh, I taught at a East Bay school, you know, and I've mentioned the story before, but uh, their, in their argument of why they can smoke weed was like, hey, Mr. Rainman, they call me Rainman, it's Rainman. Hey, Rainman, listen, God made the plant, and he said, partake of it, you know. And I said, let me tell you about where the weeds came from. The weed of the weed came after the fall, all right, where the rest of the poisonous things came. You see? Amen. Amen. A little louder. I just need a little louder there. Amen. Come on. Smoking pot. That's not going to work as a Christian. Just give it up. All right. Moving on. If there's a person here who would. Yeah. Sorry. You all looked at me like, well, we don't smoke pot usually, especially before we come to Bible study. All right. All right. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. So there's a connection there. There's death in the pot. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. Today there's a whole lot of death in the pot because sin and death reign in this world. Now, sadly, most of uh, those around us are chowing down on the wild vines that grow everywhere. Um, And sadly, we take a bite or two often because we still have a sin nature and we still fall from time to time. Now, notice the the remedy. Elisha gives some orders. I, I really love this. He says, add flour in verse 41. Now, we have to break this down, all right? Flour comes from wheat, and wheat is the main ingredient in bread. And Jesus said this about bread. John chapter 6, verse 47, and onward it says, I tell you the truth, that he who believes has everlasting life. I'm the bread of life. 
Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread, this bread, this bread, this bread, this wheat is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So add the meal, the word. Jesus is called the word of God. You add the word of God to the poisonous mess. And not just read it and know, but live it. Add the word to a heart that's been defiled by taking a bite of a wild gourd and getting sick. Add the word of God. Throw the word of God in that. Not only to memorize and reflect upon it and love it and sing it and have it fill your car in music, right? But then to obey it. And you will find healing and cleansing and a purging of that poison. I mean, I listen, I'm a human being like all of you. All right, surprise. And <laughs> I get sick. I ingest things and attitudes and, and, and things make me feel defiled. And man, I'll go to the Bible and it's just so good. It's like cooking up to a, a, a drip, an IV drip and getting the meds on board. And that's what he's saying. Give me the wheat. Give me the flour. Give me the word of God. Give me Jesus. Throw that in there. You feel a lot better in the morning. Amen? All right, all right. So, Jesus removes the curse. Now, another food miracle. Come on, you can do this. It's just three verses. Let's finish it up, all right? A man comes down from Baal Shalisha, (laughs) bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain, Give it to the people to eat, Elisha says to Gehazi. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elijah answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord is saying. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Well, now. I've told you about my seminary professor who used to say, guys, listen up. When there's a repetitive thing in the scriptures, it's not because God is stuttering. He doesn't have a stuttering problem. Now, repetition in the scriptures means God wants to underline something or to emphasize it. And this bread multiplication, this bread thing, it goes from cover to cover, right? So he's trying to say, that in God, through Christ, he satisfies our souls. He is the bread of heaven that anybody eats lives forever. You know, you eat of that bread, you've got everything you need. All your problems are solved. All your problems are solved tonight, whether you know it or not. Because you have everything you will ever need to make it through this life. Practically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally on board, if the bread of life is on board tonight and you've ingested it, you've got everything. 
That's why you keep seeing it in the scriptures over and over and over again. There's, a, there's layers of meaning, but I think that is at the heart. So if you're taking notes, it was death in the pot, and now it's life in the basket, in the bread basket. So the two spiritual applications, Jesus removes the curse. We just saw that. And now Jesus satisfies the hunger. Now look at the placement of this miracle. I just love it. Okay, you're famished? Okay, you get sick? Did you learn your lesson? Going out, panicking, saying, oh, who cares what I ingest? I'm just going to ingest it. It feels good to, uh, you know, to be full of something at least. And then almost die. Have to go to the ER, get your stomach pumped. Was that a lot of fun? No. How about the bread from heaven? Instead, how about the true vine? He says, I'm the vine. Why not eat of that true vine? The bread of heaven. You're going to feel a lot better when you do things God's way. Somebody just came up to me right before and said, you know, you gave me a piece of advice. At first we said no. And then we changed our minds and said yes. And everything is so much better. I was like, really? (laughs) Listen, do things God's way. I don't care if it's harder. It usually is. Do things God's way and be blessed. Always. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's what happens here. Uh, God is providing for the guys at the seminary and their uh, dean of men here, uh, who is Elisha. Now, Israel has no more temple because they've bordered off uh, Israel from Judah. Judah's got the temple. They've got Jerusalem. So there's a temple down there, and all real true Jews uh, left Israel in the north to go down to live in Judah, where they still had a temple, and they still had some godliness, and they still had Levitical priests. But in Israel, north, they only had two altars, one in Bethel, one in Dan, and they had golden calves set up and false prophets. So nobody's bringing anything there. The first fruits was a holiday where they would uh, bring in the harvest and the first part of it, a percentage of it, they would dedicate to God and they would bake the bread from the wheat that they harvested and bring in some fruits and those kinds of things and and have kind of a celebration and commune with God and give it to uh, the Lord and the priests. That's how the priests survived. It was a sense of tithing. And which carried over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's still sort of the way it works as people bring their gifts unto the Lord and unto the, the ministers who serve the Lord. And, and so you see this picture here. But only the guys are bringing their offerings to the seminary because there is no temple. And to Elisha because there are no, there are no priests. They're down south. And so they say, hey, well, there's a work of God going on here. So we're going to bring the offering here. So this guy shows up. Now, now don't think 20 loaves is a lot because a loaf of their flat bread is like one piece of bread. All right. So picture the flat Mediterranean, you know, pita bread. You know, picture one of that, but a little bit thinner. All right. So, so 20 of those, two little stacks. All right. It's not like going to Costco and getting the oversized loaves you know, that are this big. And you're thinking, well, 20 of those might do it. Yeah, no. 
just a little bit. Um, now, so he brings it, this faithful man, bringing this offering to be of some help, right? And then notice once again, we are seeing that Gehazi is crazy, all right? <laughs> so we're going to call him Crazy Gehazi from now on because he's the, uh, he's the servant, but we keep getting little pictures of him like, what is wrong with Crazy Gehazi? And you're about to find out next time. But he's got some problems, all right? So here, he, I hope you saw it here. So here's Elisha, and he says to Crazy Gehazi, he says, hey, take this bread, and he gets that look, and he says, feed everybody with it. And Gehazi says, how are you going to do that? There's only 20 loaves, there's 100 mouths to feed. What's going to happen here? I was screaming in my office, Gehazi, I was saying this out loud. What about the dead boy? Were you there? Yeah, you were. How about the dead boy who sat up and started talking? How about him? Maybe that's how it could happen. Or how about were you there when the River Jordan parted? Or were you there when the oil kept pouring? You were there for all of that. So what, what is wrong with you? I am asking, what are you asking? What are you looking at Elisha like he's crazy for? Where have you been? What is your problem? And the answer is, he's got a secret life. He's not on board. He doesn't have the kind of faith. Oh, he looks like he's there, but he's off in another world. He's going through the motions. He's kind of like Judas, a little bit. He's right there. You can't tell. None of the disciples knew on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus said, hey, one of you is a devil. What a great icebreaker that was. <laughs> and one of you are going to betray me. And they were dumbfounded. You would think everybody were all the heads went to Judas, right? Nobody had a clue. They didn't have a clue. In fact, they started saying, is it me? <laughs> yeah. I don't blame them. Do you blame them? I would have said the same thing, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, so Gehazi, crazy Gehazi. How's that possible? How's that going to work? Yeah, well, your sin is going to find you out. It always does. It's a quote. Numbers 32, 23. Your sin will find you out. Uh, how Paul, I love what Paul says. Paul says, some men's sins are obvious. They're kind of at their feet in front of them. Other men's sins lag behind. But they lag behind, but they get there. <laughs> They're just a little bit slower. But uh, sin just is like oil and water separating. The oil always comes. It just always, it's a spiritual truth. Just know it. Just know that that's the truth. Okay, so he protests. Don't be silly. This isn't going to happen. Whatever. Oh, ye little faith. Step out of the way. Elisha answers the man, Mr. Lack of Faith. He says, God is speaking. They're going to eat and they're going to have leftovers. So the Lord is saying, take what you have, yield it up to me, and start serving it up. And so it was. So a couple of things as we wrap up tonight. Here in this very short account, 
You know, number one, God puts to rest our greatest fear. And what is that greatest fear? We're going to run out. We're not going to have enough. How about our retirement years? Whoops, I haven't been contributing. I've been trying to survive. And you see the Lord on the throne who's created heaven and earth going, oh, no, whoops. <laughs> what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to have to sell a couple of those cattle on a thousand hills that I own, right? We're going to run out. There won't be enough. I'm never going to make it to the end. My grace is sufficient. Silly humans. Silly humans. Jesus said, you silly humans. He says, listen. If your kid asks you, hey, I'm hungry. You give me something to eat. Would you give him a rock? Would you give him something inedible? You know? He said, and then I love this. He just slips in a little uh, slap. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard it. But he says, if you guys, being evil. Wow. <laughs> Only Jesus could get away with that. You know, if you guys, who are evil, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, men are basically good. Uh, Jesus says, if you guys being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how about God? Would you give us a little break here? Uh, we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, I and the Father are one. We know what you need before you even have to say it. Now, I, I got a quick little story. One time in Roner Park, we were living in Roner Park. We had, I had finches. Uh, I like birds. I like to have birds. I don't have any right now. But I want some. <laughs> Where's Barb? <laughs> it's my birthday month. <laughs> All right. I was feeding the finches. For some reason, I had to cross over the yard with the seed. And of course, I spilled a little seed in the middle of the yard. And later in, in the day, I was looking out the back window and I saw all of these birds gathered and dive bombing and having a big feast, right? I didn't spill that much, right? Nor did I see any birds flying patterns overhead, you know, looking out for spilled seed somewhere, right? And I was thinking to myself, how in the world did they find out that I spilled a little of the bird seed there. And I heard in my heart, I told them. I told them. I go back to that over and over again in my own heart when I'm faced with some kind of challenge. He told them. They don't have spies. They weren't sending out like, hey, there's that clumsy guy. And he's got some bird feed. You know, he's probably going to spill some. Watch him. And they got a little bit of <laughs> Tell me how, in a matter of hours, what kind of vision would you have to have to see those little seeds? Do they smell the seed? No. God says, he told us, I feed the sparrows. I told them. There's some seed there, guys. Whoa, over here. That is so, that's what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. Matthew chapter 6. Check it out. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. All right, so the next time you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Let's think about the birds. 
and the daffodils and the flowers. He says, look at them. They're clothed pretty good, right? And I didn't shed my blood for them. I didn't shed my blood for them. I suppose you could make a case that all of creation benefits from his shed blood. But I would say the sparrows were not on his mind that particular day. It was you. So these miracles are screaming out, stop doubting. You have everything in me. And secondly, and lastly, manna from heaven in the wilderness feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then, by the way, 4,000 Gentiles. People forget this. He did it with the Jews, 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then he turns around and he does it again in a Gentile region. And he feeds them as well. 4,000 with seven loaves and a few sardines. To illustrate a sermon It's me on the bread. I'm the thing you're looking for. And so when they come running after him because he he fed them with the bread and they're out of breath and they found him. Hey, we've been looking all over for you. He says, what's up? They say uh, something and he says, hey, stop running all. Don't chase me down for the bread that is temporary. But realize that I am really the one you're looking for, and I'm the one, the greater than your physical need. I'm the bread that will feed you. So it's me, I'm enough, I'll satisfy you, I'll make it last, I'll take the bitterness and the curse and the death out, and you'll be nourished and fully satisfied forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Two small miracles with a great big impact and a wonderful grand lesson for our souls even tonight. So thank you for your long-suffering with silly humans who always need reassurance every 10 minutes. (laughs) We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.